activists like Scritti Politi and their friends at Rough Trade were the intellectual political wing of punk. Anti-capitalist, democratic and determined to break the stranglehold of the major labels. We were Marxists, so major record labels, given what they represented at the time, would have just been uh, the enemy. He seems a sort of highbrow kind of guy and comfortable talking about structuralism and um, at the same time he's got music that's based on the street. Well really what happened was I started to have panic attacks so I didn't realize that's what they were at the time. I ended up in hospital in Brighton. Um, I hadn't spoken to my parents for very many years so they got in touch and took me back to Wales where I was born and um, tried to help me get myself back together and whilst I was there I took the opportunity to take stock really of what we were up to and I listened to lots of records that I hadn't really listened to before black American pop music so there was a discovery of black pop music and reading of lots of European thinkers all of which ended up with me deciding that um, we should try and make pop music Welcome, everyone. Once again, this is another episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. It's great having you here. It is a Sunday, an early Sunday in South Florida. So what does that mean? That means I'm talking to someone all the way across the pond because I have to do it early here because it's much later there. So I'd like to welcome to the show returning guest from Aylesbury, UK, Paul Marfleet. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hi there. Hey, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, enjoying the um, enjoying the long um, jubilee weekend here. Oh, that's right! It's a jubilee. No, so. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, you, you wouldn't. Yeah, you, you wouldn't know. You, you wouldn't know about that being living in the republic. But so uh, yeah, we get an extra bank holiday. Oh, weekend, so, yeah. Well, we actually do because it is all it is all over the news here. Because they'll believe me. At this point, they'll take anything that's not uh, people getting shot. Uh, they'll run with so yeah they're they're you know, on Good Morning America they did a whole they had them over in England and yeah so we all know about it yeah I guess that's just one of the things that the British are quite good at is the old you know pomp and circumstance so we, we seem to you know carry that off quite well yes and I also saw uh, that uh, the Sex Pistols God Save the Queen uh, entered the charts again so that's uh, I guess in honor of Jubilee which is kind right. of cool. yeah <laughs> so speaking of the Sex Pistols. Where I guess you'd have to do a real like adjacent turn, but not totally off the uh, off the realm, right? Of what you're going to talk about tonight. I guess so, yeah. Because um, I mean, the band we're going to talk about today, they did, they were, they were something inspired to form by the Sex Pistols, right? I saw um, that. Which is which is kind of, I guess, I guess it's kind of strange when you think about you know, the album we're going to talk about, but it was yeah, the album. The album in question is you know, quite far removed from the. You know, from the sound of never mind the bollocks but I still would say so <laughs> um but it's an interesting yeah, i guess it's an interesting journey you know to talk about about how we get from seeing the sex pistol or, or you know being being spied by them to, to making to making this album but but you know it's a yeah it, it is it is something interesting story yeah so what are we talking about what's the band and what's the album okay well the the band is scritty pillity 
and the album is Cupid in Psyche 85. Yeah, released in 1985, hence the title, right? Cupid in Psyche 85. That's right, yeah, which is, which is kind of an, which is kind of an unusual thing because not many records, apart from apart from live ones, have the year of releasing the title. And I can't think of I can't think of that. You know, there's Talking Heads 77. Right, right. There, and um, 1984 by Van Halen, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to think of uh, right. Yeah, you're right. There's not many, and because in a way it kind of dates you. You know, obviously it dates you. But the amazing thing I realized is that it doesn't really sound dated for what it is. Uh, it doesn't really sound dated. I mean, it is because it's very meticulously put together, and obviously um, uh, the leader uh, Green uh, Gartside wanted it to sound a certain way, and went to New York and got all these players, and you know, and really worked at it sounding. And uh, it really does sound, for what it is, it's it, it's a great example of what it is. But how would you describe it, Paul? What is it? What is it? Well, it's a pop record for sure. Yes. I mean, that was that was his his intention was to was to go out and make him you know, the best pop record he can make it to assemble like a, this crack team of of musicians um, to to realise the vision he had. Um, and, and and I think it certainly succeeds on you know, on 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 that front because it was it was a successful album and, and, and you know, Squiddy Putty were for a few years they were pop stars um, but I think it I think it kind of I feel like it, it sits apart from you know, from, from say the, the rest of what was going on in No, right. I know what you're saying because he, he is. I mean, he is singing a lot about about love and love issues and stuff. But he does you you know he does uh, like you said very clever wordplay and uses uh, you know interesting choices of words and uh, even from like the title itself. So what is uh, Cupid and Psyche are. Uh, it's uh, the myth of these Greek gods, right? Two Greek gods who were destined never to be able to like truly love each other. That's right. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it's yeah, two, two Greek gods. But um, I think the, I think the story actually, the story which we which we know actually comes from a Roman mythology. I mean, the Romans, you know, they borrowed, didn't they? They borrowed ideas from the Greeks, right? Uh, and I think the you know, I think the, you know, the myth, as as we know it, comes from uh, comes from the Romans. But uh, yeah, I, I think you, you're right. But um, they were. You know, they had this relationship because um, was it so Psyche was a Cupid was a god. He, he was immortal. Psyche was a mortal woman, but very beautiful. And but they they ended up in a in a relationship. But um, you know, they went through various trials and tribulations um, in, in the course of you know, in the course of 
in, in, in the course of finding true love. And, you know, eventually they, they conquered those and, you know, and, and um, you know, it had a happy ending. But it's... Um, yeah, yeah, I saw that. They, they did actually have kind of a happy ending. Yeah, because in the end, you know, the, the gods make Psyche immortal. So, so then, you know, then they can, they can then, you know, they can then live, you know, forever in, you know, in, 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 in happiness. But, um, right. but, you know, before that, you know, they, you know, they go through, you know, various, various problems, you know, the, and, 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 that, and that comes up in the lyrics of the album. So you know, the title is not, you know, just there for window dressing, but right, he, right. He, does, he does reflect upon the myth of Cupid and Psyche in a kind of, in, in, in the way Green Gartside, you know, writes lyrics in, in a kind of abstract way, um, but he does. He, he certainly touches on you know, some of the ideas of Cupid and Psyche, particularly the idea that to knowing to knowing someone, the more you know someone, maybe the less you you love them is one of the ideas he right. sort of talks. Yes. In the lyrics. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there's, there's a somewhat, you know, somewhat pessimistic idea there, but but it seems like you know, he's, he seems like a bit of a romantic though, Green, and, and um, so even. Even with that, he, he he does seem to be committed to the idea of of, of true love. But um, um, yeah. So so it's um, yeah. So definitely the the title is is reflected in the lyrics. And I think from what I read, he then just he liked he just liked the the sound of putting eighty five at the end of it. He just thought that sounded cool. So that's that's how the album title right right came about. <laughs> and, and and yeah, and and it does. And yeah, I think that's a good thing to point out because I get I think Green uh, Gartside was a romantic at heart but he was also super smart and intelligent so maybe too intelligent to like sort of buy into the whole myth of love and then he kind of digs into it a little bit too much and he gets under the nitty-gritty and and finds you know the the the, uh, flaws in the whole idea of it even though that's you know that's the ultimate goal and he was a he was a product of like the british art school system so he went to um he studied fine art i think at leeds polytechnic in the late 70s I think he was. I think he was. He was there the same time as I think Mark Armand was. Was 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 at was at Leeds Poly as well about the same time. Right. Standing in the door of the pink flamingo, crying in the rain. It was a kind of so so love, and I'm gonna make sure it never happens again. Um, and, and also the gang, the guys from the gang of four, John, John King, Andy Gill, they were, the, they were at the lead of the university. So there was something going on there. Yeah, and I think some of the, and, and some of the ideas, you know, that, um, you know, that come up in his lyrics, you know, discussions about lang- about, you know, about about the power or limitations of language, and right, um, right. yes, and, and, and some and some also also ideas about power. Uh, about how power is exercised, you know, and that you know that comes up from from his art from his art school background, and he, and he was a member of a young communist league as a as a teenager, and um, and, a, and and a Marxist. So he 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 he, 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 so he, 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 he was quite wide, widely read. He, he, he was you know, quite well versed in some of the ideas you know going on at the time, um, which were ideas which were getting transplanted into pop music about you know, about. You know, about the nature of power and you know, and uh, and language and, and the gang of fools.
definitely touch on those ideas and their lyrics. I feel like with, with the Squiddy Flitty stuff, it's not as not as in your face as the Gang of Four. Right, he's, he's of course more, not. Yeah, it's you know he's not he's not you know he's he's not writing songs with with, with titles like uh, Capital It Fails Us Now that, that sort of thing or To Hell with Poverty. I mean, it's, it's it's more it's, it's more like he's just in he's mixing some of those ideas you know some of the ideas about about philosophy in with you know in with the you know the formal way in which he constructs love songs because you know he, he's, he's making he's wanting to make pop music but right but he almost has yeah he almost has those things buried they're sort of buried deep in there so you got to dig in a little bit to 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 find and say oh okay even though it sounds just like this really catchy sweet pop song there's some little you know little little dark things going on underneath and what he's yeah, saying and, which, and, which is interesting and, and you know, one thing to mention is that this the, the incarnation of the band at this point is is kind of like mark two squitty pility because you know, if you, Mark One was the was the rough trade singles, which were quite which were quite abrasive in their sound. You're more like uh, more like you, what you might think of you know, those Gang of Four records. Like yeah, the other post punk. Yeah, because they were basically like a Marxist uh, post punk collective of these art students. And yeah, like you said, they did these early uh, post-punk recordings on Rough Trade. So here's my question to you is, were they on your radar? Did you know about them at all? Or did you find out about, like, did you discover them when they when they sort of changed, when he changed gears and decided he wanted to change the t- type of music he was making? Um, well, I think it's this particular record, I remember being in like a record collection at home when I was growing up. I think it was one of the first albums we got on CD, you know, back when... CD players first came out, and I, I think I probably became aware of it maybe in the late eighties. I think you because know, I always oh, okay. liked, I always liked you know that synth pop song. I, mean, I, I used to, I used to love the Pet Shop Boys, for instance. You know, I, I love those first two Pet Shop Boys records, and I think I must have latched onto this record because it had a, it had a kind of a similar sound, you know, um, all, you know, all machine based um, rather than like you know rather than rock music. But then, then I think I. I, I, I think I, I didn't really didn't really find out any more about them at the time and didn't really listen to this record for quite a long time afterwards. I think the time when I when I got being reacquainted with it was probably in the early 2000s because I came across there was a post-punk compilation Rough Trade put out in the early 2000s and it had you know, all the usual suspects on it like you know, Gang of Four, XTC, Swarm Maps, I think were on it, and um, but it, but it had um, it had the Skank Block Bologna single right. on it by Pretty Which I never heard before, and, and I never realised that you know, the band had a history beyond like the stuff I'd heard you know, on Cupid and Psyche. So I didn't know, you know, I didn't really have any context for you know, where they come from. But then, you know, that opened my eyes to, you know, to, to to a completely different side of the band. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's and pretty, then, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing when you think about what he did. 
uh, he just sort of decided, yeah, you know what? I don't really like this, what I'm doing. This is the kind of music I want to make. And he shifted gears, which is kind of brave at the time to for someone to do that. You've already got uh, somewhat of a name. And you just decided, uh, you know what? This DIY stuff and everything. No, I, I want to make, like, I like uh, these, like, uh, uh, soul songs and these uh, modern soul and pop songs. I love that. And this is what I want to do. And he just decided that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, he said that... Um he had this panic attack at um, when he was supporting at a gig supporting the Gang of Four I in 1980. That, yeah. uh, and and he, he, thought he, he thought at the time he was dying, but he thought he had a heart attack and he was hospitalised. And then he goes back to live with his parents in, in, in Wales and to recuperate. And in, in the course of the time spent there, he starts to reevaluate what he's doing with the group and the, and the music he's making. And I think he was thinking at the time that that that, that scritty Mark One stuff, you know, rough, the stuff he was putting out in Rough Trade, was kind of a dead end. I think he felt like it was, you know, what's the point of making, what's the point of making, making music like that people no one's going to listen to? Right. Um, and, and also, I think he, he also felt that you know, what was independent music there was becoming, was becoming kind of a, a it was becoming you know, a style in itself, and it would turn the kind of free thinking ideas that, um, yeah, he was initially inspired by was becoming kind of a like a, like a, a all the bands were sounding the same. And I think it, that it was it was like a just a resurgence of traditional rock music in a different in a kind of a different guise. And he didn't really want to be part of. He didn't want to be enough you know, an, an, like say Echo and the Bunnymen. So he didn't want to be making that kind of that kind of post punk you know, what you might think as a kind of a archetypal post punk music. So I think you know, at that point he, he, he was. He wanted to do something completely different, and the inspiration that was 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 getting was from listening to um, contemporary um, American R and B music, early hip hop, right? And 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 then he was then tying that into some of the critical thinking of the the stuff he was he was the stuff he was reading and thinking that pop music is a is a valid it's a valid choice to make. It's there's there's nothing. You know, pop music is not inferior to right. rock music or, or, right. or jazz. It, it's 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 just it's equally as as good a, a means to, you know, to get the to, to get my message across. And then you know, and then from that, then we see the you know, the first Squitty album, which does take a different approach to what we'd heard before. Right, but then uh, by the time this one, I uh, see uh, people in the U.S. It's hard to uh, realize like how big this album was. This album had like five uh, hit singles off it, and it, it was a huge record. It one one song actually crossed over in the U.S. and was a hit in the U.S. But uh, definitely, it, much like a, a, a month or so ago, we did uh, a Prefab Sprout record, and sort of the same thing. Like people yeah. here, you, you don't realize like how big a band they were, uh, you know, in in the U.K. as compared to. Uh, and you know, uh, before we get into the music, one other thing I was thinking of, uh, not unprecedented uh, of uh, this type of, of gear shift in a band, it reminds me a lot of uh, New Order, what happened with New Order when Joy Division uh, ended and then they, they uh, transitioned to New Order, right? Because they just sort of went from this like moody post-punk band to basically making music that was very uh, electronic and very, you know, could be in like dance clubs and everything. And, you know, really just like a total about face of a band, you know, and and then becoming more popular than they ever were. Yeah, I guess so, because New Order, they were also inspired by like the 
by, by the emerging sort of club culture, weren't they? With the sound of the early eight, early 80s um, yeah. clubs in New York. Because in the early 80s, you know, there wasn't really, hip hop wasn't necessarily like a, a, a distinct thing at that point. It was, it was still kind of, I don't think, I feel like it hasn't really crossed over yet and become like a thing in its own right. You, you could, you, you could, you couldn't necessarily separate what was hip hop from other um, contemporary black music at the time. Um, I feel like it was, it's still, still, you know, not, not necessarily a thing in its own, in its own right. But, but so there were other groups, I think other groups as well at the time, groups who had come up through the punk movement who were, who, who, who felt like they wanted to make pop music. So you, know, you had like the likes of ABC, for instance, who were um, right. uh, around the same kind of time. You know, they were making, you know, they, they were also, you know, it started out, I think, as a, as like a, as a Cabaret Voltaire style noise band. But, you know, but oh, by, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. But by, 80, by 1982, you know, they, they were making, you know, sort of cutting edge pop music, not in, you know, not entirely dissimilar to what, say, Scotty Pelletty were doing. So I think, I think at the time you had this, you know, you had this um, thing where you, know, you had the bands who, were, who, who would come up with a punk movement, but were looking for, you know, what to do, what to do next. So they didn't want to, they didn't want to be, you know, to make it, they didn't want to make guitar rock, but um, so if you're not going to make that kind of music, then what influences are you going to have? And yeah, you know, I mean, looking towards America was quite a common thing, you know. So yeah, funk, early hip hop was uh, were, were, were influences on, on all these, you know, right, all these British pop groups at the time. Yep. All right, so let's get in this record and also um, reggae. In this first song, you've got kind of like a very a very poppy reggae type uh, type thing going on here. Uh, let's listen to the first track, uh, The Word Girl. Obviously, some listeners uh, of this show who like a certain type of music, because if I'm being totally honest, this isn't the type of music that I'm going to sit and listen to usually. But I, mm-hmm. when I do listen to it like I've been listening to this record, I can appreciate that these songs are really well written and they got, uh, like you were saying before, his gift of melodies, just like really catchy, memorable melodies is like, is great. So it's just, it's like very well done pop music. And uh, yeah, and you have to, you know, I, I have to 
respect that and give props to that, even though it, even if it's not a genre that I'm usually going to be listening to. Yeah, I think I guess it is, it is a little bit different. Although you, although you have done, you, you did Hounds of Love, didn't you, recently? And you know, and that was about the same time as this record, and and that was also um, mostly like synth based, I think, wasn't it? Um, K Bush record, and and also Pre right. Sprout. So right. um, uh, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not free cause and the truth. It's not. It's not the clash. But um, right, exactly. But, um, <laughs> but and 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 the lyrics, uh, like we said, the lyrics, like right away, he's talking about words because the song. Well, at first, I thought it was the word girl, but no, it's the word girl because this song is literally about the word girl and what it represents. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and um, I feel like it's kind of a companion piece. This song to the, the sweetest girl from from the first record, which. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's on so on one level, it is it is a, a pop song, it is a love song. It's the word baby right. in there, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and I think I think, I think what, what Green said was that you know, he, he he was he was looking through his lyrics and he realised he, he realised he, he was using the word girl over and over again, and then and then he and then he, he's, he gets he gets to thinking about well, you know, you know what's behind. So what's behind that word? What does right, it, what does it right. mean? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you know, the, the the song's lyrics. You know, they're talking about you know, how when people write songs, and up to this point, it would have mostly been men writing pop songs from a period you know, up until say the, the late seventies. So it's men writing songs about about women. Right. Um, and kind of. And, 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 a certain, and that means that there's a certain cult. You know, there's certain cultural. In, yeah, in, yeah, uh, and they're kind of objectifying them in a way, and he's kind of trying to strip that away a little. He says the last, the, the last time, baby, that I came to you, oh, how your flesh and blood became the word. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of like you know, sort of uh, tearing that away a little and being at least very self-aware of what he's writing. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, he, I guess he's, he's trying to say that you know, but he's he, he's kind of like showing you how the sausage is made, isn't he? He's showing you yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. What, what are the what are the conventions of of, of, a, of a pop song, yeah, it's a, it's a, and, he, and he's working, and he, and he himself is working within those conventions because you know, he's he's using all the but he's just he's just kind of letting you know what's going on here. You know, what what does when we use the word girl in the song, well, what's behind that? What one of the yeah, which is great, which is like adds a whole another layer to it uh, than just you know, and and which there is a lot of. That's why. Um, I always try not to be uh, snobby about, you know, something that's on the radio, very poppy catchy, because it still could be very, there still could be something, some meat in that bone. And oftentimes there is. I mean, sometimes there's not. Sometimes it is just, you know, treacle and there's nothing there. But a lot of times there is. And and you could dig under, past the, you know, get yourself past your own uh, biases about how clean everything sounds and how, you know, precise and then still appreciate the the song itself. And that's interesting you said it because, um, did you look at the cover art for the album? The, the the back cover of the album is a is a piece of meat wrapped in I think it's wrapped in a dress. Ah, um, okay. and and I think what I think you know what the message, but what the point, what what the meaning there is that you know there's there's meat this you know there's me yes okay yeah see um, that's what i mean clever i'll I'll tell you 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 brits can be very clever (laughs) i I, I, I think i was thinking about this actually is this uh 
that sort of you know, that sort of theoretical side to pop music. Is that just a British thing? I mean, I feel like look, looking at say you know, American music at around the same time, you had you had Talking Heads and you, know, you had um, David Byrne who was you know, he was analysing or, or his lyrics were sort of you know, touching on sort of ideas in in in, in relationships and and, and um, you know, but. I feel like the, the sort of the sort of theoretical side of pop music is 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 kind of a it's kind of a British thing. I feel. Is, is, would you would you agree with that? I do. Yeah. No. I absolutely do. Yes. Uh, and it goes back to yeah when you think of like the uh, Kinks and Ray Davies and things like that. Yeah. I, I think so. I think there's um yeah there's just something like I said there's there's a uh, cleverness there that obviously there's uh, American artists that are really clever too <laughs> but but I uh, yeah I totally agree that it is in a way it is kind of which is fine you know there uh, I guess that goes back to like the sort of art school um, yes right exactly exactly which is the most you know you know they take it they at least for a while I don't know if they still do but they took it more seriously like going to art school was a thing and everything and whereas maybe here maybe it's uh, looked down upon more like you know you should be you know why aren't you going to school to become a lawyer or a doctor you know <laughs> oh, what are you doing in, what are you doing in art the, what value is in art school I think like, the, the kids who would go to art school like the ones where who didn't really fit in with you know, of course in yeah of course of course so, you know, people, <laughs> people like you know, Sid Barrett David Bowie yes um, yeah exactly right yeah um, and, and the, and the, and the you know, what Green said is that what art school taught him was you know, question everything. You know, so don't take anything for granted. You know, so do, be critical of 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 what you're doing and, and recognize that you know, there are there are things which you know, which influence you know, how 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 you use language. So um, I feel right. like that's. Kind of peculiarly, yeah, it's like a peculiarly British thing to do. And that's what, at the end of the day, that's what you, what you want your artists to do, right? That's what you want them to do. Um, all right, so let's listen to the uh, the second song here. And speaking of cleverness, there's some clever things going on here. Let's listen to Small Talk. Small Talk. opening verse Ooh, we're tired of prophesying we heard the word was good but it's stupefying small talk get up and do some death defying small talk i mean that's not what the words you would expect in a song that sounds like this no um it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's another interesting one because because um you know, thinking about what 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 he might mean here i, I guess he's, he's, he's kind of saying well small talk you know that, that kind of Chit chat we might do is like a you know, is like a social nicety. You know, that's that's no worse than like having big ideas, um, right? And, 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 and 
I feel like that's that's you know kind of that's kind of a theme throughout the whole album about the way he approaches um writing lyrics because his his style of lyric writing is not it's not a confessional one. I mean we don't I don't if, if when you listen to the I don't feel like you come away and you know who Green Gartside is. It's not um, it's, it's not bearing his soul. Right. Um he's using language in a kind of a playful way, but what's behind it, um I feel like he, 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 you don't necessarily know you, know you don't necessarily know who who he is. Um if it's you know, it's it's a yeah, using language in a in, in a way that's I mean, he's not necessarily gonna tell you about himself. And I, and I think also at the time he said he was he was a Marxist, but I think he got tired of of looking at the world and you know, there being you know, one particular way of looking at things. And I think that's maybe what he's trying to say in those first in those first lines about um you know, we're tired of prophesying. But um big ideas you know, aren't necessarily the way to to look at things right and and uh, also i don't know uh, did you notice paul um he says it a couple times in the song he says i heard a whisper that careless talk costs more than you bargained for i feel like he's doing a nod to george michael's careless whisper which came out uh, a year before this because uh, he says it a couple of times i heard a whisper that careless talk i don't know maybe it's just me but uh i don't know i feel like that's a little nod to a careless whisper I'm not sure because because you have that that wartime slogan that you careless talk costs lives. I feel like it's maybe it's, maybe it's kind of riffing off of that. Um, oh, but, you know, I, talks, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that actually. That's a uh, yeah. The, uh, careless talk costs lives. I never heard that. That's good. Uh, I, I think maybe he's you know saying you know, small talk is okay because you're not. You know, he says small talk. Oh, no information given in the second verse. You know, small talk is okay because you're not. You're not really saying anything, so right. you're, not you're not necessarily giving any. You're not necessarily giving anything else, giving anything away. Right. Um, what, what one line I thought was interesting in this song is when he says, "If a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly." That, that's that's yes. probably the most, <laughs> most significant line in the song. That's a and that's a. Do, do you know where that? Have you heard that quote before? Uh, no. G.K. Chesterton, so he was a British writer. It's, uh, it, I think, it comes from him. Ah. Uh, and, the, the, and the idea being that if something is important and worthwhile, it's better to do it's better to do that thing at any level rather than not to do it at all. So right. it's better to to do something, even to do something badly, is better is better than to not do it at all um, if it's something that's, that's important. And I feel like that's kind of like a credo for Scritty Plitty. As a whole, you know, thinking back to that first record they made when um, the Skankbox Block Bologna, if they put that record out on their own on their own record label, and if they documented on the sleeve of a record the exact costs of making the record. Right, right, right. So, they, so anyone, so anyone, then could follow in their footsteps, and um, and you know, they didn't need to be. It, it didn't matter that it wasn't necessarily didn't sound like the greatest record ever made. You know, the fact that they they. The fact they made the record at all was was the most important thing there. So I think I think that kind of you know, ties into you know, it, 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 for making music. You know, just have a go at it, even if you, even if it's not the greatest thing thing ever ever written. Then at least you tried. I think that's I think that's that's what he's trying to say there. Right. I mean, we've we've, we've, we've talked about Green Gartson, but you've got to also give credit to David Gamson on these songs because um, he was the um, He's the person doing all the keyboard 
programming. Right. And he record. was someone Green Gartside uh, met and uh, from New York. He was a New Yorker, right? And that's why he ended up going to uh, to staying in New York and recording this record there, right? That's, that's right. Yeah. He, he got put, yeah, he got put in touch with, with David Gamson through Rough Trade Records. Um, I think, I think uh, Gamson had put, had put out a demo and Green had heard it and, and he and, and he felt like there was a kindred spirit here, or someone, or someone who who could like who could complete him, who could do the, who could help him to, to realize that the kind of music he was he was hearing. Right. And um, yeah, and, and at this point, yeah, at this point, because this is pretty pretty marked too. You know, the original incarnation of the band. At right. This point, it's just it's just Green, uh... Green is the only Green is the only remaining member, and it was two thirds. Uh, the, the other two, David Ganson, Fred and Marr, yeah, were both. New Yorkers. Um, right. Fred Marr, and he does uh, the drums and a lot. There's some live drums on here and a lot of drum uh, programming, drum machines. Yeah, a lot, lot, yeah, a lot of drum programming. Yeah. Yeah, Fred, which is, and, and uh, yeah, but all really great. Well done. And then, like we said before, a ton of, uh, a ton of guests uh, playing on it that which will come up soon, we'll mention. Uh, so let's listen to the uh, this next song. Speaking of words, this song is called Absolute and it kind of plays with the word absolute and the different ways it could be applied. Let's listen to Absolute. Absolute. I ended a little soon, but uh, I'm going to play underneath. Uh, towards the end, there's a little bridge that comes in that's really musically sophisticated and great. And just like so, I was like, wow, I had to go back and listen to it again. There's a great bridge. And uh, fans of uh, David Letterman would be uh, interested to know that that's Will Lee of the David Letterman, the most dangerous band, David Letterman band on bass on this one. Uh, yeah, I think the terms of Paul Jackson Jr., who also who's also a member of Letterman Band. He plays guitar on, uh, if not this song, then, then, then others on the oh, album. Oh, okay, he, okay. And he, 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 also, he was also the guitarist on um, Michael Jackson's big albums, Thriller, Bad, Dangerous. Uh, right. So, and, and, this, uh, and this song was one of the three songs on the record produced by um, Arif Marden. Right, right, who also in, uh, produced... Um... Aretha Franklin? Uh, yes, right. He produced, yeah, he produced uh, some of the Aretha Franklin's right, late right, 70s right. records. And he also produced, um, uh, around around the same time, he was uh, he was working with Chucka Khan, so he produced those... Um, oh, nice. Okay, those, so those he was uh, he must have been thrilled to be uh, to get to work with this guy. Yeah, I think, I think Green said that he, he wanted to work with Aretha because um, he particularly liked um, Chucka Khan's cover of uh, We Can Work It Out on, on, on one of her albums, and he was a, and he was a big... Beatles fans and uh, oh, they okay, liked the nice. way that, he, he liked the way that she reinterpreted that 
song. Um, yeah, so so and I think you can, you can tell from this track that it's one of the earlier ones. It's not. It's still got a bit of a. It's got more of a groove maybe than than some than some of the other songs on the album. I would say uh, sounds a little bit less mechanical, perhaps because it was. Um, uh, yeah, well, one of the earlier songs, and, and, and at this sort of time was the time when like MIDI was coming in. So, I think I think over over the course of making the album, they were you know, they were adopting the the new technologies as they as they came about. But this is one of the earlier tracks, um, so it's more I think it's more live. I mean, it's actually more live playing on this track. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so the next one, a little knowledge. There's some. There's a there's a male. There's a female voice on here uh, going back and forth with him. And I believe it's uh, B.J. Nelson. I, I, I'm not 100%, but I think it's B.J. Nelson who also sang with uh, Dur- on some Duran Duran stuff. That's, and, and, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, okay, uh, okay. that's what I read, yeah. All right, so let's listen to uh, B.J. and Green uh, a little now. Right at the beginning, there was that line you were talking about. Now, now I know to love you is n- not to know you. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that, that that comes up in one of the later songs as well. It, it, yeah, this idea from from the myth of Cupid and Psyche, because in the so in, in the myth of Cupid and Psyche, the thing is that that Cupid's Cupid's a god, so but he doesn't he can't let Psyche know that. So yeah, so they're 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 married, but she can she can't she can't see him. And she can't know his true nature. Oh, okay. Wow, that uh, sounds like some rom-com movie or something. <laughs> but then, of course, you know, she 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 becomes she becomes suspicious of why yeah what why why can't I why can't I see my husband right? Um, <laughs> um, but then, you know, of course, that that doesn't turn that doesn't turn out well. And then, so yeah, I guess I guess he's saying that you know it's a, the more you know then. Unless you might love someone, right? To be the, right, right. Looks to be the message uh, there, and um, I, I guess you know, the song seems to be talking about this. You know, people, two people in the aftermath of a relationship. Is that is that your reading of 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's talking about, uh, you know, I, I, I got too near to you in the court of uh, contempt. Uh, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, and it, and it's still the need. You know, he mentions, oh, I've been overtaken by the, the need to be loved. So, you know, like we were saying, he's still, deep down, he's a romantic. And I don't know. I mean, I know he had some issues. I know after the album, after this, I think he just sort of quit music for a while, right? For like seven years? He did, yeah. Yeah, because the... One thing was that they never they never toured this record at the time, so that, that was partly because because of he had issues with stage fright, right? And also because they technically they couldn't they couldn't reproduce these these songs in a live environment, so they were doing they were doing like you know, promotional stuff around the world. And I think he he just didn't like that that whole sort of treadmill he ended up on with you know doing you know going on a TV show at nine in the morning and lip syncing. Right, right, uh, right. Whichever, whichever record was they were promoting at the time. And then the Provision album doing was kind of doing the same. It sounds quite a lot like Keeping the Psyche, but I feel it's not, like the songs aren't quite as strong on that record. And I think then I mean, it didn't do, it didn't do as well commercially. And you know, at that point, Green was so disillusioned with the whole music business. So yeah, he, he just, he just quit everything. He went to, he went and, just went to live in Wales for ten years. Um, I guess living off the royalties of uh, of this record, um, and yeah, and it didn't make another didn't make another record until until the late nineties. All right, so this next one we get more like the eighties ish uh, disco soul, but incredible the the guitar player that plays on this is going to blow your mind. Let's listen to the song, and then uh, I'll let you know who the guitar player is. This is don't work that hard. So his break, his guitar part's coming up. I'm going to play it underneath. But Paul, do you know who's playing a guitar on this one? Yeah, it's it's Robert Quine. Yes, <laughs> Robert Quine from Lou Reed and Richard Allen the Voido. He's playing guitar on this song. Isn't yeah, that... And it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like an incongruous guitar song. It doesn't yes. really fit the song. Well, yeah, that's kind of, different. but that's kind of him because he, that's kind of him in no matter what he plays on. And it's like, you could always tell it's him. And it, that's a very good word because that is kind of him. I think this is 
probably my least favorite song on the album. Really? <laughs> oh, okay. I like it. I, mean, I just fun. enjoy it's it. It's fine. I mean, I, I, mean, I like every song on this album, but I would <laughs> right. say this is the, this is the least okay, substantial one. But I do like, yeah, I do like the, you know, the, the, the uh, yeah, this sort of out, out of place guitar solo at the yes, end. Yes, totally out of place. Yeah, totally out of place. It's true. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to assume that um, it was because Fred Marr was, he worked with Lou Reed, and he also put out a record with Robert Quine the previous year. Uh, it was a collaboration, so I've got to think that it was the, it was yeah, the drummer must have got him right. involved in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And said, "Hey, just throw it on there." And they said, "All right, well, we'll keep it." <laughs> <laughs> all right so this like we said before the song a uh, perfect way was a surprise hit in uh in the u.s so uh there's a lot to talk about this but let's listen to it first let's listen to perfect way So this song had a 25-week run on the Billboard chart, and it reached number 11 in the U.S. Amazingly, right? And But the most interesting thing, Paul, you must know, tell, explain, there's a Miles Davis connection to this and to the band. So do you know uh, that? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Miles Davis covered this song on Tootsie. I was listening to that just before. I was listening to that. So I hadn't heard it before. But just before we, we started doing this, and um, it's it sounds pretty much the same as this, except it's got Miles Davis playing trumpet on it. Yeah, exactly. um, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure that the song works without Green singing. I would say. Well, 
his label, I guess the story is the label wanted him to, to do a cover of like a American, you know, a, a whatever. A, 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 they wanted him to do a cover of a song, like a pop song. So they gave him a bunch yeah. of, you know, they, they must have looked at the Billboard charts and just gave him a bunch of songs to pick from. And this is the one that he really liked and, and picked. And he obviously really did like them because he ended up playing with them on one of their songs later, right? Yeah, yeah he guests on, um, I don't, I'm not sure what song he does, but yeah, on provisioning, does he does, yeah, he does guest on one track. Oh, Patty, the song. Oh, oh, Patty. oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. That's one of the better, yeah, that's one of the better songs on provision. <laughs> but that's, I, I, I mean, I that's the, pretty cool though, right? Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, Green was kind of all struck by, um, by, by, by the fact that, you know, Miles Davis, who's, you know, one of the, one of the most important figures in 20th century music, but that he was, he was covering one of his, you know, one of his songs. Yeah, was, uh, <laughs> right. Pretty, uh, pretty, about, I would say, I would say the Miles Davis song, without Green singing on it, it sounds a bit like, incidental music from Miami Vice or something like that. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't really work. But it doesn't really work without without you know, the whole scritty quality. I agree, because it's not because it's just him playing over something else that's there already and it's not his really Yeah. And also really it's, it's pretty much the same it's the same kind of approach. It's the same kind of synth approach. It's, you know, I'm not quite sure what the point yeah what the point of it was. But, but um, speaking of uh speaking of Green's vocals, uh he definitely has on uh, not just on this song but a lot of here uh, Michael Jackson vibe in uh, in some of his vocals, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I was, yeah, de- definitely. And I, right. I think he, I think he said that you know, for doing, having that sort of pop soul voice, you know, he that's something that he he deliberately cultivated like, on the pre on the previous album and on this one. Because if you listen to those early rough tracings, he's, he's, he's affecting more of like a Cockney accent on on, on those right, right, on those, right, those, yeah, those exactly. singles. But then, but then he was he, he was Welsh, so that wasn't that wasn't his um, that wasn't his real accent. Ah, either. okay, okay. Um, I do I do like I do like his his vocals and um, yeah, it's, it's just it's, looking at him. They don't fit. Like when I see pictures of him, I don't see how that voice comes out of that guy. But you know, he, he's, like, he's, he's a six foot six. He's a big right. guy. And, <laughs> I um, know. He's got this, you know, he's got this, this, this wispy, yeah, this, this yeah, kind of wispy yeah. uh, voice. It's great though. It's great. All right. So the again, the lyrics on this next one, "Lover to Fall," typically super lyrical, super precise. Let's listen to "Lover to Fall."
some of the lyrics in this one are just bonkers. It says, I found a new hermeneutic. I found a new uh, paradigm. I found a plan just to make you mine. He's rhyming like paradigm with mine. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, and those, those words have no have no place in a pop song, really. I, exactly, exactly. That's what's, that's what's so awesome about it. It's great. Even even you know, Michael Stipe in, in, in his in his most esoteric moments never used those words. Exactly, like exactly. Yeah. yeah, they they kind of really jumped out at me. But uh, you know that's uh, that's what sort of sets this apart. Like I said, uh, you could just listen to it and say, oh, that's just like really treacly, sickly uh, pop music. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot more going on. Well, I, when I was listening to this song, um, it's got some interesting. It's some interesting ideas. In the lyrics, you know, when you when you sort of when you when you look at them, so lines like "I'm going to be beloved to fall for you." Is he in love with this woman or or not? He's going to be beloved to fall for her, right? Right. But he's not. <laughs> but, he's, but, he's not but he's not in the moment. It's or hard, but I'm going to hear about you. Um, heard you the heroine of virtue. It's all this sort of again. It's, it's, these ideas of like what what do we really know? Um, He's heard about he's heard about her, but right, right, and and he's planned. He's 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 making plans to be <laughs> to be the new yeah. lover. Yeah, is, is he in, is he actually in love with her or not? We don't. Yeah, it's, it's this sort of like displacement of meaning. It's yeah, you know, and, and that ties in with you know, some, like with the stuff he was the stuff he was reading. Uh, he's you know, in, in in philosophy about about you know about uh, you know, how words can be words and meaning and you know, how how those things relate. And I feel like he's 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 trying to. Trying to touch on those ideas, but within the within the confines of a three minutes. Right, song. right, exactly. And, and I guess you know, not being entirely successful because he can't really get across these complicated ideas. But yeah, I guess. But I don't know. To me, it, it's successful because it's still pretty brilliant uh, to me. And uh, this next, all right. So Woodby's. This is my favorite. Uh, it's Woodby's. Pray like Aretha Franklin. Uh, probably one of my favorites. One in here. Just the melody in this is so strong, and it's such an earworm. Uh, let's listen to it, then we'll talk about it. Uh, Woodby's. So I mean, he's wearing he's wearing his heart on his sleeve when he says, "Each time I go to bed, I pray like Aretha Franklin." I mean, uh, that's it right there. Yeah, this is maybe the most interesting song on the album lyrically. I'd say. So what, what, what is he saying? 
what is he saying there? I mean, he also says, I'm a would-be. I'm a would-be, would-be. Right. And I feel like he's, he's trying to say there that you know, he's not, you know, he's not a reaper prank. I mean, he, he can't, he can't be, he can't be a reaper prank. He doesn't, he doesn't come from, he doesn't come from the same No, he's rank. this Marxist guy from art school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but from you, 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 he's this guy from South Wales. Yes, um, yes, um, right. And but he can he can pray he can pray like a reaper. So he can he he can mimic he can mimic what she's doing, and and maybe he can you know he can get to the same maybe by doing that maybe he can he, he can get to the same place as her. And um um and has talked about he talked about um he said that um. About Aretha Franklin, that she'd she started out as a gospel singer, but at the time she, she was making those records in the late sixties, early seventies, she she was making pop records, but she was still singing those records songs with you know kind of banal pop lyrics, but she was singing them like they were gospel songs. Right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, he he can't be he can't be her. He can't sing like her, but but he can you know, he can sort of affect the same you know. And, and he could still love it and aspire to it. You know, it, it reminds me of a quote from uh, Todd Rundgren. Uh, Todd Rundgren said that he's like the white, he has the, the whitest voice uh, you can imagine, but he could do this falsetto, this really high falsetto that sounds like, like a soulful a black woman that he loves, you know? So it's like, it, it's funny. And he was just talking about the juxtaposition of that. And I think, yeah, I, I think that's what he's going for with this. Yeah, I think that's exactly would be um uh, he's a would be but uh you know th- there's no shame in that right yeah and when i was you know, thinking about thinking about about a similar artist you know um david bowie what he was doing about 10 years before this with um when he made that transition into in, into doing american r&b music on right on, yeah yeah the, um, yeah the thin white duke uh, plastic soul yeah and and, and the, the term plastic soul was was, was bowie's own Description of the music he was making, right. and, he was kind of, <laughs> right. and he was kind of, he was kind of, by, by referring to what he was doing as plastic soul, he was kind of preempting the criticism. He was yes, gonna be exactly, exactly, because he was also really smart. <laughs> same thing, you're, you're, you're appropriating someone else's culture, um, right? But, but Bowie, but Bowie, you know, just like Green Garth, like Bowie loved, he loved American music. He, he loved, he loved black music. Right, and, um, right, of course, yeah. And why not do it? Um, and, and there's also there's also definitely a hip hop influence on this track. It's probably the most um, at beginning. The beginning makes me think of um, Grandmaster Flash. The message that sort of the uh, oh right, you know, right. Those, 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 those drums at the start. Because he, he, he doesn't he doesn't do any rapping on this album. He, he did rap a bit on that first record, but he didn't do it on this one. Maybe, maybe that's for the best. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. Um, all right, so now we get the final track. All right, let's listen to the final track, Hypnotize. Sweet. You left your love letters in color. 
I, I, I like I like some of the lyrics in this in this, uh, in this track. Uh, um, the line "How could your nothings be so sweet?" is is, is a great line. You I think. left your love and letters I, incomplete. Yeah, that is good. That is really yeah. good. Yeah, and, and, and also yeah, that, that, that nothings be so sweet kind of make a thing. That's that's kind of what he's doing on the whole record. And he's he's not necessarily telling you a lot you know, about himself, but it sounds but it sounds wonderful at right. the same time. Right, 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 right. Uh, this, this, this track is the only one where. I wonder whether this should have been the penultimate track. I, I would have put Woodbees. I feel like Woodbees is the obvious album closer, um, not this one. I agree. So, I agree. That would be stronger. That's yeah, the, I yeah, think that's the so. only place. That's the only, the only place in, in like the running order where I think that. Yeah, you know, I, I would have swapped the last uh, the last two tracks around. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So this was great. Like I said, Paul, this came totally out of left field. You told, when you said Scritti Politti, I'd heard of them, but I was not expecting this at all. But uh, it was it was great. I really enjoyed it, and uh, very you know, in, very interesting. And uh, I think people are going to dig it. Obviously, people you know over on your side are going to know know about it more than uh, maybe here in America. But uh, it was it yeah, was a really great. Thing. In America, they were kind of they were kind of seen as like a one hit wonder. I think. Yeah, they right. Had that one. <laughs> um, right. And, and there's some footage on, on YouTube of them that, um, being interviewed on the American Bandstand. Um, doing, I think mean, they're doing perfect way, and you know, Green Gartside just looks, you know, completely bored by the whole. Oh, really? Whole <laughs> he was probably miserable, right? He said that um, when he was interviewed by Dick Clark, wasn't it? Dick Clark was the yes, um, yes, American the bandstand. Who, yep. you know, the guy who um, did American Bandstand. He said that he was like something out of vaudeville. You know, ah. like, <laughs> that whole sort of show business thing. You know, he felt, yep. you know, he felt that, that, at that point, he, he realized that you know, he. He had enough of the whole. He just wasn't trend. into it. It just wasn't for him, which is fine. You know, it's not for everyone, uh, Paul. It's not. But, but, but he's also said that you know, this, this album is like a like a like a Swiss watch. You know, and, and I think that's a great quote because you know the way that everything sort of interlocks together. You know, these like little bits of you know little bits of synthesizer. It's it's really clever the way it was. It must have you know been really hard to record. You can imagine with the you know, the primitive technology they had at the time. Oh yeah! If you listen to it with headphones, like I did uh, uh, yesterday, I was listening to it in headphones, and there's a lot going on—a lot, uh, yeah, a lot of very precise, intricate production going on, which is, you know, which is great. It's really fun. It's a fun listen. Yeah, and this is like you know, the early days of, of MIDI when it wasn't that easy to get you know, different different bits of equipment, drum machines, synthesizers to talk together. Or to right, play right. Everything just synced together. Time. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it was you know it was quite hard you know to make the album, but um, yeah. and there's also another quote. Um, have you heard of a band called The Lilac Time? Have you ever heard of them? No. They were they were a band on um, they were on Virgin Records at the same time, and uh, there's a track on uh, one of their albums called The Whisper of Your Mind, and the, the opening lines are, "Back in 1985, Cupid saw me take a dive." Ah, okay. and that's a reference to the fact that this album, you know, Virgin Records put all their efforts into promoting Cupid and Psyche you know, to the detriment of what whatever whatever acts are on the label. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think the, the, the guy from the line at the time was the guy uh, Stephen Duffy. He was a bit miffed, I think, at the that, that, uh, <laughs> Oh, well. Scritty were getting all Scritty were getting all the attention, and the Lilac Time were not, you know, were, were, were like second best. Ah, uh, oh well, get over it. Screw you, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, all right, Paul. So thanks, uh, Paul. I don't know. Do you have anything you want to uh, promote? <laughs> I don't think you do, right? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not. You know, I'm not really. Uh, 
I'm not, I'm not in a band or anything, so. Um, <laughs> okay. But Paul does, uh, you, you, do, uh, uh, you do usually participate in our uh, patron episodes, so I appreciate that, and you always give us good. Uh... Yeah, I like, I like doing those, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, I like it. It's good, you know, trying to think of, trying to think of a good song to choose. Um, maybe something that no one else has, has thought of. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to, yeah, to participate in the whole. Yes. So speaking of that, uh, if you guys uh, would like to become a patron of the show like uh, like Paul is, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and you can become a patron of the show. Also, uh, don't forget on Instagram and Facebook, you can follow me at, at that record got me high. Uh, you can, on Facebook, you can also do that Facebook group got me high. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you're if whatever you listen to on now, if you're not subscribed, just hit the subscribe button. It's so easy. Hit subscribe. This way, you're subscribed, and you know whenever we put out episodes. I've been putting out like some bonus episodes now and then, so you always get them. Don't forget to rate it. If you give, give it five stars, why would you give it less than five stars if you're listening to it? Come on. Uh, and uh, you could write a review of it if you want. But just uh, thanks everyone for listening, Paul. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, it was fun. We'll see you guys next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. Can you now recall all that you have known? Will you never fall when the light has flown? Tell me all that you may know. Won't you come and save